This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 74. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is Session 74 you're listening to, and today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Gearsluts.com, Audio-Technica, Focal Monitors, and Universal Audio. Welcome back. Have on a great guest today. I have on Mr. Tremaine Williams. And Tremaine is a uh, is a very talented man uh, who's worked with a pretty big array of people. Uh, 50 Cent, Shaka Khan, Boys to Men, Keisha Cole. The list is actually quite big. And primarily because in the earlier part of his career, he got his start with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. So you work for Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, you're going to be exposed to pretty large uh, swath of uh, artists coming in and out of uh, their complex that they have in uh, Southern California. So uh, Tremaine is coming on. He's going to talk to us about his journey, and uh, he's quite young still. So uh, I'm not exactly sure of his age now, but he is quite young, and but he has had a pretty uh, action-packed career. Let's just say that. So great guy. Had a great conversation with him. So Tremaine Williams coming up, and I want to thank our friends over at Universal Audio for uh, making the connection between the two of us. And uh, yeah, Tremaine Williams coming up. So uh, as I mentioned in my last show, I am back working over at uh, part-time, just a couple shows a month, at KFOG, which is a radio station in San Francisco. It's been around for a long time. It's gone through some recent changes, uh, a lot of upheaval, a lot of uh, very uh, beloved DJs have been fired and shifting around of things. And now they're kind of at a point where they're, uh, they've got uh, Matt Pinfield, who some of you may know that name. Matt's been around for a long time. Matt is one of the uh, main DJs over there on the morning show. And they do a, um, as they have when I was in there in the past, they have a, uh, a, a live space. And in this case, it's the Levi's Lounge, which, of course, is, you know, sponsored by Levi's. So uh, what they do is they have these artists come in and like this past week, they had this band called The Record Company. So The Record Company shows up and then they bring in a select audience that is primarily members of the KFOG community, what they call fogheads. Those people are, I guess, sent an email and they have the opportunity to respond in a short period of time and they show up and it's a, you know, it's a small setting. It's an intimate setting. And sometimes it can be stripped down as far as instrumentation, but sometimes not. And uh, then, so there's, you know, the the band sets up, uh, they plug into the snake that th- that's there on the stage, and then there that goes to the front of house cons- console. Yes, there is a front of house console. And there, then there's a split, and I get a feed into a separate little control room with a, a Pro Tools 10 rig on an iMac uh, running into an RME interface with some... Uh, outboard mic pre's from uh, UA and Focusrite running into that, as well as the RME pre's that are there. And I basically take all the signal in and run it into uh, a mix and create a mix live on the fly. I brought a little control surface so I didn't have to mix with a mouse. And uh, yeah, then you you print a mix live and then export that to the various departments that need it. The morning show needs it. Uh, the video department needs it. And, uh, you know... It's kind of high pressure in a sense. There's a backup running on the RME interface, which has a little USB stick, which I didn't realize 
was the case. And we captured all at 96K and spit it out at 48 and 44.1, depending on the department. It's pretty cool. It's, it's a great gig. And it's, um, I had the gig at a different location uh, before KFOG moved buildings in San Francisco. I had the gig uh, it's a couple of years ago. Yeah. And I worked with a lot of, you know, a lot of people, Thomas Dolby, Florence and the Machine, uh, The Fix. Uh, so kind of a combination of legacy artists and new artists. And I presume it's going to continue that way. So, yeah, I'll let you know how it goes. And uh, I've done my first show there. It was good to be back. A little chaotic. There was, uh, I think, a little bit of a power ripple that came through the building, which was odd. And it caused a, um, a hard drive overload. And the, uh, of course, the backup had run out, run out right uh, before that. And in the midst of trying to get the backup going, we had the little hard drive hiccup. So I lost about, I don't know, two, three bars of a song. But of course, we edited that together at the end and everything was fine. So, but it was, uh, it's, it's, it's a little bit of fly by the seat of your pants, although there is a backup when the backup isn't, you know, running full. So, now that I've been there once, I kind of know the lay of the land of how they do it now versus how they used to do it. How they used to do it was really crazy. I think I mentioned in the last show, they they would uh, do that same thing, uh, you know, the same setup, uh, except in a, the location was different and there was no official sponsor that I recall. And it was like in a conference room, essentially. But uh, very uh, rickety setup. Run It used to run a, a Pro Tools HD7 rig that was remote controlled with an iMac running a newer OS over a network and mixing with a mouse. It was insane. Crazy insane. So, yeah, it's good to be back there. And, uh, hey, it's good to have the extra income, of course, you know, and uh, good to be getting paid to do what I think many of us love to do. So I am... Uh, I feel thankful. I think it's, I think it's great. And it's really exciting to be back. And so that's that, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. So that's it. Let's get on with it, man. Tremaine Williams. Let's listen uh, to what he has to say. Let's get to it. Tremaine Williams here on the working class audio podcast. Well, Hey man, welcome to my podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, I want to give a shout out to our, our, our mutual friends over at universal audio for, uh, Hooking us up together. Yeah, they take good care of me. They're they're good at that. Yeah. So I've been uh, spending the last couple of days reading up on you. You know, in the 21st century, obviously, we can Google one another and right. kind of get a sense of what the other person's like. One thing that strikes me is you've had a pretty rapid rise since you got out of Full Sail. It's, yeah, it's it's been all over the place. It's been crazy. I'd never expected any of it honestly yeah but you know you hustle and that's what happens and it seems like you've hustled yeah so <laughs> so you you grew up in north carolina in raleigh yeah. yeah that's where my my mom and all my friends are my mom's like from kentucky she ended up moving to north carolina met my dad and so yeah i came up there around a bunch of musicians like me and all my friends just happened to be musicians as we grew older i met them all when i was like four or five you spent uh, a fair amount of time in the locally based boys choir in raleigh or 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 is it more a statewide kind of a thing uh no so it's it's for raleigh but you know we traveled all over the place and there was this thing every year where they would go to the white house and sing and is for them to be in raleigh it was kind of a bigger deal than what i thought it was going to be so it was it was pretty cool. Learned a lot. Classically trained singer. I don't really 
sing, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but you were in the Raleigh Boys. Yeah, choir. I mean, I can, but I choose not to. Like, I only sing like when I'm dealing with the artist and I need them to do something so I can sing it to them. In retrospect, what do you think you gained from that? It, that's that's helped you in production and, and audio and what you do now. It it helped my ear a ton because they would do this ear training where they play a chord and they tell you, you know, pick out the middle note or all that kind of stuff. And as a child, I was like 10, 11. And so you're learning how to hear uh, all that kind of stuff. So that helped a ton. And then just, you know, reading sheet music as a singer and then the camaraderie, it helps you uh, socially because you're dealing with I don't know, like 60 other people and personalities and everybody's different, different backgrounds. So that definitely helped. So there's a whole list of things other than just music, but definitely killed on the music side. Love classical yeah. music. We were singing in other languages and just a whole appreciation for stuff I I wouldn't have been exposed to. Yeah, that, that seems like such great training for anybody who has a future in music, no matter what track you take whether you're a drummer or producer engineer whatever so that was kind of in you know as you say like 10 11 right yeah eventually you went to full sale obviously many years later right did you just study recording at full sale was that the whole point yeah i just went for recording arts um at that time i didn't fully grasp what an engineer did i kind of knew what a producer did because i had been you know making tracks in high school and all that kind of stuff for the local singers and rappers. So I, I understood that side of it. But uh, the engineering side, I'd just barely seen a wave file on a computer, you know, in the early 2000s. So mm -hmm. I was kind of trying to figure it out. I was, think I was on Sonar, on Cakewalk. I knew what I saw. I understood that a little bit. But anything beyond that, I was lost frequencies. The whole nine didn't get it. So I went there to understand sound and to understand as a producer how to get the sounds in my head out and how to create them and i knew engineering would help me get there quicker full sale's been around for god i mean as long as i can remember the ads in the back of rolling stone you know with the, <laughs> you know person at the board and it was always like oh wow that's such a unique thing but now schools are so widespread but What's what was that experience like in school for you? It was good, man. Uh, a lot of people complain and say they didn't get anything out of it, and I, it's honestly one of those for somebody walking in there not really knowing that side of it. It's you get what you put in. So I knew I needed to learn stuff, so I paid attention to everything. The only time I really slacked off was like when they did have music theory class. And I was mm -hmm. like, eh, I, that's the one thing I do know. So <laughs> I got through that part. But yeah, everything else is, it was a good experience. They had, you know, they, they stay on top of all the new gear. At that time, it was, it was 2003 when I went in. So it was the last of analog world and digital was kind of pushing all the way in. So it was, it was somewhere in the middle of there. So we were still... We had a little experience on tape, but we were using like Logic when eMagic had it, and uh, oh wow, yeah, yeah, all that kind of stuff. You know, the the beginning phases of Pro Tools, still the early days. It was it was cool. I enjoyed it. Got a lot out of it. 
didn't realize how much I learned until I got in the real world and got put in these situations. And I was like, wait, I know how to do this. We did this in school a hundred times. I just haven't had to use it yet. So, <laughs> so after full sale, I believe I had read that I believe it was your uncle gave you an opportunity to go anywhere for six months with your rent paid and kind of get your shit together, right? Yeah, yeah. He, um, I don't, I don't know. He he believed in me, so uh, that was my graduation gift. Was you move anywhere wow. you want six months, figure it out and. So I, I called, because uh, I'd been kind of a street team for Hidden Beach Records while I was mm-hmm. in school. And I called them and I said, hey, can I come work in the office? And they're like, yeah, we can't pay you. I was like, I, don't worry about that. <laughs> can I come work in the office? And they're like, sure. And so I just moved to California. Never been, just hopped in the car and, you know. Drove out to California. Full sales in Florida, right? Yeah, I was in Florida. Then I went home to North Carolina for like two weeks in between. Uh-huh. So it was literally Carolina to Cali, straight across. Wow, talk about a culture shock, huh? Oh man, yeah. What did What did you think when you got to California? You have your perception of of stuff you saw on TV, so that's the problem. It's the <laughs> it's the Hollywood, the gang life. Uh, all that kind of stuff you see, supermodels, uh, famous people everywhere. <laughs> so you're thinking that's going to happen. Like the famous person you see is like one of those guys from TV where you don't really know their name, but they're in a lot of TV shows. You oh, see yeah. them in the grocery store and you're just like, that guy. <sighs> yeah. I don't know your name, so I'm not going to talk to you, but yeah. <laughs> so I come out to <laughs> a bunch of that and then... um you know, at, I'm from the South, so it was going to, like, West Hollywood was a whole wow. crazy, like, I'd never seen anything like that before. So it was a whole different ball game. I was like, where am I? What is happening right now? Of course, I, I've been out here 12 years, so I adjusted, but yeah, a country boy, never really, I mean, I'd been around to a couple states, but never anything like this. Yeah. Uh, it was it was huge, and I had my best friend, my uh, my boy Twan from high school. He drove out with me, and then he flew back. But for like the first couple of days, it was me and him. So at least I had him with me, and we were kind of just taking it all in together. Like, what in the world? <laughs> <laughs> what is this? Yeah, I just I, I asked because I mean I grew up in southern New Mexico. And when I first came to San Francisco uh, in the late 80s, I was just like, <laughs> what is going on? This is this is a whole nother ball of wax right here. But of course, you know, you become so accustomed to it that when you do go back, it's like, wow, things are a little backward back home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've, you know, back in the South, they're very judgmental and picky about a lot of stuff and then being out here kind of just you kind of just loosen up and you don't care like you know why do i care so much about someone else's lifestyle like that's that's them yeah I, it doesn't bother me but back home it's a it's a whole other ball game man it's, it's really weird so interesting so you you come out you're working in the office take me through that so you because i know that at some point you kind of got involved with grammy U. is that correct yeah so the first, let's see, eight months or so, I was 
I was in the office. Uh, I was the intern for the A&R, for the head of A&R. And um, I think it got to the point where I was one of the few interns that could come in pretty much every day. Uh, everybody else was in college, so they had class. And I was like, I'm done with school. I don't have another job. My bills are paid, so I can come in every day. So I started like creating flyers. I learned Photoshop. So when our artists had shows in different cities, I'd create a flyer, send it to whoever they needed me to. And I was making samplers. I was going to mix sessions. I met Dave Pensado as an intern. Uh, he was mixing a couple of our projects. So I got to hang out with him for a few days. This is prior to Pensado's place. Yeah, this is uh, Jason had just become his assistant, probably like a week or two. And I was going to all the events. Mind you, I was 20. But I'm going to bars and clubs. They're like sneaking me in the back door. They bring me super early before security gets there to check IDs. So I go there and I'm working these events for the label. And I was kind of everything in every department because I was consistently there. And that's where I ended up meeting my manager now, who was my boss then. She was the intern coordinator. And so she would make sure I was everywhere I needed to be. And I eventually ended up meeting. Um, at an open mic night, this producer, J.R. Hudson, and we just started talking. He's like, oh, I need an uh, engineer. I was like, well, you know, I just graduated. And so I end up working for him and not knowing that, like, he was on a bunch of projects for Hidden Beach, like a ton of stuff. So it kind of just worked out. So I still, I kind of left the office and was in the studio still working on Hidden Beach projects. And that wasn't planned, but it kind of just worked out that way. So I eventually ended up engineering or doing whatever for pretty much every artist on the label, which was was pretty cool. Yeah, so I worked with him for a while. And our first album that we did, Unwrapped, which is basically a hip hop, you take hip hop and flip it into jazz, a bunch of jazz covers, but it still has kind of the hip hop edge. We did that. I engineered it, got enough credits to be able to join the Recording Academy on that first project. Oh, and right. joined as a voting <clears throat> member immediately. Like, when I was, I think I was still 20 or 21. And my manager, because uh, she had quit the label, she's the one that pushed me to to join. So I joined that. And then eventually I got introduced to Grammy U after I finished working with JR. A friend told me about Grammy U and I was still the same age as all the college students. So I could go to those events and no one would wonder, like, why is this guy here? Because I'm 22, 23 with everybody else. So I just got involved with that and then ended up at Grammy camp as a counselor and then ended up meeting Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was. How about that? Just rent. That's what I'm saying, man. Like, I, you could, I couldn't plan this stuff, man. I didn't know where I was going to end up, but there, that route was, I, I don't know. Didn't see that coming. Yeah. When they talk about, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure what the quote is. So I'm going to misquote it, I'm sure. But, <laughs> you know, they say that. To be successful in life, you just got to show up. You know, that's half the battle. Yeah. And just by showing up and being there and being present and just uh, immersing yourself in the whole Grammy thing and jumping into that office and meeting people, here's this opportunity with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. I mean, what, what are the odds? Now, man, uh, one in a billion, because it is to, I know they haven't had a lot of engineers. Like when they get people, they hold on to them for a yeah. long time. Now, now, for the listener who who's not 
following us very well here, and I'm not explaining it. You eventually went on to work with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. That's it's not just hey, I met somebody famous. I mean, you went on to work with these guys, right? Yeah, and I, they're legendary. Yeah, it was like they're they're my idols as far as producers go. They're up there with Quincy and everybody else. Like that's who I strive to be or to be close to. I can never match their accolades, but yeah, it was. I was at camp. Uh, we had to take the kids on a tour of their studio. Of course, they were late <laughs> getting there. The guys were. So me and the kids are sitting in the lobby, and uh, their assistant comes up to me, and she was like, so what do you do when you're not like babysitting all these kids? And I was like, well, I'm a producer, engineer, you know? And she was like, well, we're actually looking for an engineer right now. Give me your information. And uh, so I gave her my number. And mind you, that's in like August uh, of that year, July. So I don't... I don't hear back from her until like December of that year. And uh, I'm thinking like she was going to hit me back like the next week or something. I don't hear anything till December randomly. The day that I fly back to North Carolina, that's when she calls and she's like, hey, we need you to come do a session with uh, the guys want to try you out with Jennifer Hudson. (laughs) And I was like, I literally just walked in my mom's house. I cannot afford to fly back to LA right like at that point I was broke so I was like I I can't afford to fly back like what and she was like oh no don't worry about it I'll, I'll call you next time and then I was I was depressed for like a day or two because I was like oh my gosh I just missed like the biggest opportunity of my life and then I, I kind of got to this place where I was like well if if it's meant to be it'll it'll be like you know I'll, they'll they'll call me back if it, if I'm supposed to work there and uh, then February of that year, of the following year, uh, I get a random email that's like, hey, can you meet me at this address at this time? And it's their assistant. And I'm like, okay, that's creepy, but yeah. So, <laughs> What are we going to do? Right. No details. I show up and it's Grammy rehearsal with the time and Rihanna. As in Morris Day in the time? Yeah, like their first reunion in like 18 years or something crazy. And they, of course, they don't, they haven't been together. So there's no roadies, no nothing in place. It's just the guys that Jimmy and Terry had working in their studio, their engineer at the time, Matt, it was just him. So they're like, we don't have anybody to do anything. So I became keyboard tech, uh, playback guy monitors during the uh, rehearsal like whatever and mind you I did not did not have any experience in the live world so playback I'm like I don't I don't know how this works I was like I assume I send him a click but this is the time they've never played to a click ever like Jelly Bean the drummer was like I don't play to a click I was like well you have to because I can't just drop in Rihanna's song because it was this mashup they put together with Umbrella and all this stuff and I was like, there's no, I can't just push play when you guys are done doing the bird or jungle love or whatever. Like, it's not going to line up. Like, you have to play to a click. So me and him went back and forth. So if you look at that footage, he has on these giant headphones, like some air traffic control headphones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a, and there's this loud cowbell click running through the whole thing. Because in rehearsal, I would hear the click over like the keyboard sometimes. It was so loud. I don't know how he could hear. Headphones were huge, just 
So on the show, he wore those same ginormous headphones. And I'm sitting here trying to tell them how modern playback works because they just hadn't done a show with it uh, as far as the rest of the guys. Jimmy and Terry had because of Janet and everything else. But So it was the challenge of life. And I had, and I'm like, who am I to tell them? Being that I've never done any live shows. And, you know, isn't that interesting? It's so, when you get, like, when you're younger and you you end up in a situation with somebody who's older and more experienced, but it can be super intimidating. Yeah. yeah. Especially if they give you any pushback or attitude. I've, I was in a situation with a bass player one time who was really good in a studio situation. And I just, I was almost shaking because the guy was just like, had such a presence that I was like, oh shit, don't mess this up. <laughs> That's when the, I was much younger. That Yeah, man. I was, I think I was 23, maybe. Yeah, I think I was like 23. And I couldn't like, I'm the whole time I'm sitting there like, who am I to tell any of you how this works? But that's why they brought me in was to be the young guy that, knows how all this stuff works. And it came off perfect. Like, it was a great performance, but it was nerve-wracking. But uh, we got through it, and then they, I think a couple days later, they called me in, and first session I did was for American Idol with uh, with Ruben Stuttered. He was doing something else, uh, something for him to come back and do a performance. So uh, that was my first session with them, and they liked me. Then, like, a week or two later... Yeah, their assistant calls me downstairs and is like, guys like you, they want to hire you. Here's your key to the building. And wow. I, yeah, like everybody had left and it was just me and her. So she left and she was like, you know, here's the passcode, lock up when you're done. And I like, I literally cried like on the elevator down to my car because I was just like, this is crazy. Like I, they gave me the key to the studio and the passcode and I work for Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Like what were you on the phone calling your mom? Oh yeah, I called her. <laughs> Absolutely, I and it was like eleven o'clock at night here, so I woke her up in the middle of the night. And she was happy. I think she probably started crying too. It was just a whole thing. It was it was pretty crazy. Wow. Yeah. Just quick movement. Just boom, boom, boom. We like you. You're coming on board. Here's the key. D- yeah. Huh. <laughs> no, no, like. You know, looking into resume. I mean, did did you have some type of discussion? I mean, it was just with them. It's it's more of a vibe and an energy, and so it was being around Jimmy and Terry, and they liked my energy and you know whatever potential they saw at that time. And um, I guess they told a studio manager, and she was like, "Okay, cool," because the whole time that was her plan. She was like, "I want to hire this guy. I like him," because she used to be. And A&R at Motown. She was like the A&R for Boys to Men and all these big groups. So she knows personality. She knows what she wants, what she likes. And so, uh, yeah, that was her plan from the jump was to get me in there. So all she needed was the guys to say we like them. And she was like, good. We're good to go. So let me let me delve a little deeper. Let me ask, what do you think, how would you describe your energy in the studio and what do you think that they liked? I didn't come in with the nervous energy, even though I was terrified. <laughs> yeah, I didn't come in with the nervous energy. Um, I didn't come in with the whole attitude of I produce, let me let me run this session. Like, cause I've come across too many guys that I tried to bring in and work under me, and they come in first day trying to tell me how to do my job. And I'm like, you don't have a resume, bro. Just be quiet. 
<laughs> sit back and watch. And so that's kind of what I did. That was, I say at Full Sail, I got a degree. Like, this is where I got my master's. Like, I came in and sat down. I was quiet. Whatever they needed me to do, I could do it. And if I didn't know how, I was on Google figuring it out. And so within five minutes, whatever the issue was, I'd fix it. But when they asked me to do something, so I ended up like doing some drum programming and a bunch of other stuff. I had, you know, the ear for whatever the current sound was. Like they they could just do that without having to tell me what to do. Like I kind of just naturally knew. So it's just a a natural thing. It just ended up working out. We clicked. And uh, I don't know, Jimmy and Terry are like two separate people, two separate personalities. And you just kind of got to know how to deal with each person. And then when they're together, know how to deal with everything. And I kind of just had a natural thing with it. I can't even describe it. Just it just worked. Yeah. Yeah. It was, there was just chemistry. And it, wow. Yeah. And I mean, that pretty much from there helped propel you further. Because, I mean, what, you're working on the American Idol thing. And then, for, I mean, you go to work with somebody like that, you're going to be working on stuff. Yeah. Meeting people. The funniest part with them, man, is like they don't tell you. It's rare that I would know what I was walking into every day at work. Like, I'd have no idea. They just tell me, we need you there at 6 o'clock. So I get there at like 4.30, make sure everything is up and running. Uh, the guys had two separate rooms across the hall from each other. So usually Terry will be there during business hours to kind of do stuff. So his room might be up already. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's there was five rooms in the building all uh, matching gear. Everybody had AWS, Apogee uh, converters. The hardware varied as far as compressors and pre's and everything. It's just different for different rooms. But uh, the main gear was the same. We had towers in every room, everything. So you just run in, boot everything up, have every room ready to go, because I literally don't know what room or who's coming in where. So like second or third day, I come in and like Michael Bolton comes in at night. And then another night is a Japanese pop artist. And then across the hall is Usher. And then Jermaine Dupree is down the hall. Bobby Brown shows up one night. Like, every <laughs> night, it's just like, you don't know what's going to happen. Like, I I come back from, like, Christmas break after my first year. And I come in and, like, they're like, okay, so Janet's on her way. What? Yeah, so I'm like, yo, like, I haven't. This is why I'm here. Because Janet Jackson, like, this is what I've been wanting to work on like, right of course it's jimmy and terry so ended up doing some janet stuff and meanwhile the whole time i'm there from day one we're still we're constantly working on uh any downtime we have we're working on the time reunion album so i'm just in there on our off days uh from whatever big project we're working on they'll bring in morris or jelly bean or monty or whatever jesse and um we'll be working on the time project and then coolest part of all that was I heard so many print stories that I felt like I knew the guy because you're just hearing about their tour stories from when they started out and it was the most awesome like experience all the way around because the time ended up doing a residency in Vegas at the Flamingo that year uh, that summer so I end up going out uh, helping out with that so I'm kind of getting these live experiences here and there dealing with them so because I was there keyboard tech slash everything because it was just me Mm -hmm. and a front of house guy like (laughs) that's the only crew that would bring out so it'd be the two of us doing everything but uh yeah not everybody 
everybody came through that studio because at one point we were just renting some of the rooms out because uh, it's five rooms. So they would just rent the rooms out to Interscope. So like when Drake was coming up, his mm-hmm. whole little crew, uh, Boy Wonder and uh, T-Minus and all these guys, I got to know them because they would Interscope would be renting the room across. Uh, we had a separated kind of situation. So they were on the other side of the glass, but I would have to run their sessions because I was the in-house engineer. Like Jermaine Dupree would come in and do his radio show and we'd send it to Atlanta and they air it on the radio there. Dallas Austin, Usher, 50 Cent came in. I did like two or three days with him. And with him, it was crazy. We doing remixes. And the next morning on the way to work, I hear the remix that we did the night before on the radio. <laughs> I was like, awesome. I was like, what is this? What is, what? So we did like five remixes for like whatever the five hottest songs were at the time. And uh, they were all on the radio within the week. That's amazing. Yeah. The turnaround was was nuts. You said something earlier that caught my attention. You you mentioned, uh, I think that Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis said, you know, okay, come, we need you here at six tomorrow. But you said, I got there at 4.30. Yeah. Um, so you yeah. didn't show up at six. Oh, no. If they gave me the key. I'm good. I'm going to show up early. Uh <laughs> Because, I I mean, we're dealing with computers here. It'll work today and not work tomorrow. God knows why. I have to figure out why. But, uh, yeah, I just want to know when they walk in, the gear will be up, ready to go. Like, there is no, hold on, let me turn it on. No, I want it to be up and running for an hour at least before they walk in the room. So I know. Good man. It'll it'll be gone. Yeah. And then we had a bunch of, you know, analog outboard gear. So I need these tubes to be warm because we're going to win go in and start cutting vocals. I don't need them. I don't need the tubes to warm up while we're <laughs> cutting the vocal. And yeah, so go ahead and switch all that stuff on. Just, you know, have it ready. Kind of set the mood. You gotta get the lighting right. Can't have the bright mm-hmm. hospital lights. You gotta have that little sexy lighting they like. And, you know, know know your boss, know your people and and take care of them. Where do you think your your sense of of knowing this stuff comes from? Do you just like go, okay, we're doing a session, obviously. We got to get the lighting right. I got to be here early. I got to get things set. Is that just naturally come to you or did you figure that out along the way? I figured it out. It was it was just going, sitting in on other people's sessions. Uh, like when I do the Pensado stuff and everything and just Jason would come in before Dave and set everything the way Dave liked it whether it's the lava lamps here or whatever, whatever he wanted the way he likes it so he can work and get his stuff done without his feng shui being off and him looking around the room like, eh. That's kind of where I, I first noticed it. And then, I mean, Jimmy and Terry, they'll just tell you, you know, first time you come in, if you come in and just turn the lights on, when they walk in, they'll they'll make an adjustment maybe when they get to the light panel. And they had a dimmer, of course, so they dim it down to where they want it. And I noticed after like first or second day, okay, Terry always has his, this dim jam has his a little brighter. So when you come in from now on, you just have it where they had it. Just pay attention. That's pay attention. That's, yeah. that's really the, the point to, to the listener. Pay attention. Yeah. So you were with them for what, four years? Yeah. Three and a half, four years. Okay. What happened after that? Um, Where'd you go? I left to do my own thing, man. It kind of it, it kind of felt like you know after you've 
done all you can as an understudy, you know? It's like I I can't do anything else. Kind of just hit this wall of I, I know what we're going to do every day. I know how to do it. Not that it wasn't a challenge because they hit me with different stuff, but it's kind of like I I still do want to be my own producer, and I'll never be that under you guys. Like your name is too huge for me to get my own. So uh, I left, and like I think the week that I left, I ended up finding out I got a placement. I got like a I got like four songs placed on this uh, record. Ended up getting stuff on the Kardashians and Bad Girls Club, getting music on there. It was like this whole line of things that happened uh, a week or two after I left that I was like, okay, I did the right thing. Like everything is falling into place. So then I I dove into like, you know, kind of TV world, had a couple random, I think I was working as a music coordinator for the NAACP awards, which is still like for that, you have to call all your music connects and be like, look, do y'all want to submit your artist to be considered for an image award? And so they hire you based on basically your your phone book. It's like, who can you call and not be cold calling them? And I was right. like, well, I've worked with some of everybody. So I know management, I know labels, easy. So I came in and did that two years because it was it was easy. Like I knew everybody I needed to call in that field. So did that and the whole time and my manager's like sending me stuff. So I ended up scoring a film while I was doing that and scoring this film called The Last Fall, which is that poster over there. All right. <laughs> and so uh ended up getting that opportunity, because uh, my manager manages a film director. So anytime he does something, I'm the first call, whether it's audio, editing, mixing, uh, and then music-wise, whatever he needs, they throw it at me. So I ended up, all of that kind of just fell in my lap, so to speak, like, you know. All right. I hope you're enjoying the interview here with Tremaine Williams on the Working Class Audio Podcast. As usual, I'd like to take a little sponsor break with Audio Technica for a bit. And I know that you are aware, if you are a regular listener, we uh, got together with Nino Michella over at Bird and Egg Studios, and we made some samples. Again, this is our second round of samples, of course. Uh, this time we were comparing three different microphones, the AT2035, the 4047, and the 5040. So I want to tell you a little bit more about the 4047. Mid-price, and AT says it's designed for critical studio and live sound and broadcast applications, and it's transformer-coupled output and specifically tuned element really provide the sonic characteristics reminiscent of an early FET studio microphone. So it's got exceptionally self-low noise, wide dynamic range, and as I always say, and as they always do, high SPL capability. It's got a dual diaphragm capsule design, and that maintains the precise polar pattern definition across the full frequency range of the microphone. Uh, precision machined, nickel-plated brass. That's nice. Acoustic element baffle provides enhanced element stability and optimal sensitivity. It's, this one's a little different looking, though. It's got a vintage silver matte finish on the microphone and the shock mount. Really well built, i got to say. Uh, open acoustic environment of the symmetrical housing uh, assembly minimizes unwanted internal reflections, according to AT. And it's got a switchable 80 hertz high-pass filter. It's got a 10 dB pad. Comes with the shock mount. And, uh, yeah. 
It's a, it's a great sounding mic. You should check it out. Just a quick glance on the web. It looks like you can get it for $6.99 if you do a little hunting. So if you're curious about what it sounds like, if you head on over to workingclassaudio.com and you look over at, I'm going there right now, as a matter of fact, if you look at the WCA bonus content, that's the link on the far right side of the, of the links on the front page. And if you go down one, there's the WCA Audio Technica mic samples. And the most recent samples are at the top of the page, along with some pictures there. You'll see kind of what Nino and I did when we made our samples. And there are some WAV files there, a link for some WAV files for you to download. Put them into your DAW, check them out, and uh, see what you think. We listened to some uh, drum overhead, drum room, bass guitar amp, and piano. That's right. So check that out and see what you think about the uh, Audio-Technica uh, AT4047. And uh, you can judge for yourself. I'm, I'm quite, a, quite impressed with the mic myself. So uh, see what you think. Yeah. Well, let's get back into it. Uh, Tremaine Williams here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Do you have the same manager that you started out with? Mm-hmm. Okay. Tell me about that relationship and what, at what point did you get a manager? Um, I say when I stopped working at the label, probably in like middle of 2005, and I started working for uh, JR. I started, I was making track. I was working for JR doing product, I mean, engineering and stuff, but I'm still doing my own production. And uh, we had some opportunities. Like, I got some calls about some possible placements on albums, and I didn't know anything about that as far as contracts and all that. And at that time, uh, my manager had just left the label. So I called her and I was like, hey, I I have this possible situation. Can you explain it to me? And she was like, yeah. And so she explained it to me. And I was like, oh, okay. And I, it kept becoming one of those where I kept calling her until it eventually turned into she just started managing me. Like it kind of just worked out that way. And she's basically my West Coast mom. That's what I call her. She's actually met my mom. And uh, <laughs> it yeah, she's my West Coast mom. She takes care of me when I was like, you know, hitting those rough patches and I didn't have an apartment or whatever, mm-hmm. go crash at her place. You know, she takes care of me. She treats me like a son. So and, and takes care of all the the business end of it that to allow you to, to you know, obviously immerse yourself in the creative side of it. Yeah. And that I'm, you know, I'm assuming you obviously have discussions about money, about like, hey, this is going to pay you this and I'm going to take this. And yeah, yeah, it's not like she just hides you away and says, I'll take care of this. You just go create. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, she uh she definitely we discuss numbers and all that kind of stuff. And like I said, she she looks out for me. Is literally that's my West Coast mom. So anything like anything in life in general I need help with, it, I know my mom isn't on the West Coast, so I she's the first person I call. So if I uh, if the listener goes to your website, uh, which is six seven music dot com, I believe is that correct? Yeah. And six seven, it took me a while to figure it out. You're six seven, like yeah. literally, you're literally. six seven. I was like, what is this six seven thing? <laughs> and I I figured it out. Um, but if you go there, it's pretty evident you're involved in a lot of different stuff. I saw something for Empire on there. My wife loves that show. Yeah. Um, so you got? Do you have music placement in that show, or what's your involvement with that show? Um, I did. So they had a commercial, and I produced one of the uh, the promos, the commercial promos for that. They needed. <laughs> they came to me on a Tuesday, 
or Wednesday morning. They're like, yeah, so we need uh, Wade in the Water, like, but we're going to do like a hip-hop version, so we need a choir to sing it. So we need it by tomorrow. So I was like, okay, cool. So I call my, my choir crew, and I was like, we got a session tonight at 8. Be there. It's for Empire. I don't even know if I told him it was for Empire. I was like, just just be there. And uh, everybody showed up. We knocked it out. Um, I stayed up till 7 a.m. editing. Sent it to him. It was on TV the next week. Like, ready to go. So as that was that. I mean, they still have more stuff for me, and I just haven't haven't been in town to, you know, get the work done like I'd like. Right, because when we were emailing, you're like, yeah, cool. I'll do the interview, but I'm on the road with Mariah Carey, and I'm moving constantly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no Wi-Fi. That was the struggle of life this past two months. <laughs> no Wi-Fi? What, what's up with that? Man, <laughs> it hurt. Were <laughs> <It laughs> you hurt going through withdrawal? Yeah, yeah. You can't catch up on your TV shows. Uh, you can can't barely... stream Netflix? Nah, man, it's tough. You barely check your emails. <laughs> Gosh. You can't get on Facebook. Man. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. You you have this very, very laid back personality and like the demands that some of and I'm I I don't mean this with any disrespect to any, any anybody, but the demands that some of these folks can place on uh creative people. Hey, we need this by tomorrow. Like, what the hell? Did you not know that you needed it two weeks ago? And and yet you respond like, okay, cool. I got it. Yeah. Well, I know I know for uh, the television and film stuff, just from doing submissions, because my friend is a music soup. So he would ask me to do stuff and he'd be like, I need it by tomorrow though. And so I'm just like, but so I found out a lot of the time, they'll come up with that idea at the moment that they hit you. But because every other idea they had tried didn't work up until that point, and their deadline is the next day. And so uh, they'll come up with the idea at that moment. They'll reach out to you and be like, I need it by tomorrow because they don't want to tell you everything else I tried didn't work. But it'll be, I know it's been that situation. Like he explains it to me. He's like, My boss tried this and this, it didn't work. We're going to try this. Can you turn it in tomorrow? Cool. So, I mean, as long as they're kind of clear on what they need, I, you know, I can knock it out. Just give me some clarity. Just don't give me the most generalized idea ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then expect me to come back with something like perfect. Like, give me give me a target to aim at and I'm good. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, that's the nature of, of TV and film, as I've realized, is I never get days or weeks to do anything like as far as TV stuff goes, it's always, I need it tomorrow. Are you spending more of your time, uh, doing music for television these days and, and, and film? Um, yeah, I mean, well, right now is a lot of touring, but yeah, I mean, that's the aiming for like independent films and all that kind of stuff. That's, that's the move. I think there's, there's a lot of money there because he's, these big budget films don't want to spend all their money having to pay Kanye West $250,000 when they can give me uh, 25000 which is a deal to them. But it's like, holy crap, you just gave, you just <laughs> you know gave me 25000 grand. Yeah, so it's, it's you got you to gotta know the game. And right now the game is they they want that indie sound or they want that whatever. Even if they want that, 
that A-list sound, they don't want to pay that A-list price. So sometimes, you know, they'll bite the bullet just to have the song itself. But a lot of times, if you got something that's close or the same vibe and they can pay you far less, yeah, they'll go for it. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been trying to preach that to all my friends and only half of them are listening. But (laughs) I'm like, man, TV and film, doing the music for this stuff is, man, the check that keeps on coming. Because it's only, I mean, it's rare that you have to give up all of your rights for this stuff. Like for the film I did, I retained 100% of my publishing. And every time it airs on TV, it, that hits the bank. I mean, it's, CSAC is collecting on it. So that thing has been airing for three or four years now. I did that work <laughs> five years ago. You mentioned CSAC, uh, Performance Rights Organization. There's essentially, there's BMI, there's ASCAP, and there's CSAC. Don't you have to be invited to CSAC? Yeah, so my my manager had the other artist that she manages is a CSAC artist. Mm. So that connection was there. So we just went in there. I played them a couple tracks. The guy was like, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, sign me up. Interesting. So as far as, you know, just from a a working class kind of perspective, uh, I assume you're making a good living at this point. You're not living in a mansion i assume but you're you're making a good living and and it's solid work yeah but you got to keep the hustle on yeah yeah i mean you know you you throw everything in savings that you can uh but you still it's you're living in cali so it's gonna cost Mm -hmm. um day to day uh it costs a ton of money to be here but yeah i mean i'm comfortable i i haven't been this comfortable in a while says consistent work with mariah like she's always doing something what are you what are Um, you doing with mariah what am i not doing with Mariah? (laughs) (laughs) i'm uh washing dishes it man it it's literally whatever at this point because we have a very small crew um so it's consistently for the last two years it's been me front of house guy and playback guy like it's been the three of us it's like we know crew-wise, all the other parts have been swapped out <laughs> repeatedly. But us three are the only three that have been there consistently. So uh, really, when it comes to anything on stage at this point, like, you know, we'll hire a stage manager, but I end up assisting that person, end up co-stage managing with them, especially during the show, just because the MD, Big Jim, brought me in to cater to Mariah, to make sure she's good on stage, because She hates it when a mic stands there, when it's not there. All these kind of small movements, the people that come in, like even if it's temporary, they're not going to know. They're not going to catch that. You got to know when you're walking her off stage, which hand to hold. She's very particular about that kind of stuff. And you know, on certain songs, there has to be a mic stand there. They're they're not going to tell you this. It's just certain things I know, like Hero, the mic stand better be there. Like We Belong Together, mic stand needs to be there. But that's not going to be in the notes anywhere for the new guy. Like, that's just stuff you inherently know after being around her. And she expects it to be done. So I end up kind of stage managing keyboard tech. We got like 13 keyboards on stage to make sure everything is up. Programming, uh, kind of program some patches. And I call it diva wrangling. Just making sure she's good. Make sure she gets out of the quick change on time so she can be out for the next song. She's if she's taking a little extra time, I have a mic 
that goes directly to the playback guy's ears and I him and the music director and I'm like, keep going, keep going. She's not ready, keep going. Kind of everything, man. Like, you wow. know. Yeah. High pressure. Yeah. And it doesn't even it doesn't even feel like it. Like while I'm in it, like I'm out there having fun, man, clowning around, you know, having a good time, like joking with her, all kind of stuff. Just kind of you gotta keep the vibe fun. Yeah, man. I mean you've spent and a lot of time and especially you know uh with jam and lewis um and leading up to the stuff with mariah and everything in between it's like you really know how to handle big artists big people or you know or potentially big egos people who expect a certain amount of glad handling yeah yeah it's i i don't know man i i, I treat it like uh i mean because sometimes i'm a fan of these people and sometimes i'm not and I think that can affect it. Like, you know, if you're a fan, you kind of lose yourself in the, oh, my God, I'm with such and such right now. But I don't know. I kind of I kind of realized after a few conversations with celebrities, they really connect with the people that talk to them and treat them like they're normal. Right. At the end of the day, like it's they're getting catered to by everybody else around them. So like with Mariah, you know, people have her on this crazy pedestal. She is one of the coolest, funniest people I've ever met, ever worked with. Nice. Um, before every show, I have her mic, and I hand it to her right before she goes out. But I have her mic while she... So she's in the back with the glam squad getting ready. They put her ears in. I have her mic, and whatever music is playing in the house, I start singing along with it <laughs> and kind of just clowning around. And she likes it. Like, it kind of... It, it cools her down. It kind of keeps the the vibe cool, fun. You know, you're about to go out here and perform for how many other people. It'd be nice to be able to walk out on stage and be cool. The nerves be cool. You're just kind of laughing. So yeah. uh, it became a thing during tour that I would sing Hotline Bling from Drake <laughs> in the mic every night. And she would start singing it back when I handed her the mic. Like It, was, it just kind of became this kind of fun thing just to... I have a little banter before the show just to kind of keep the vibe fun. You're good at reading people, aren't you? Yeah, 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 definitely. I think that's uh, I think that came from uh, being in church because yeah. it's so many crazy personalities in church, and you have to know how to deal with every single person in there. And I think once you've dealt with all of that for your whole for 18 years of mm -hmm. realizing how to deal with this group of people. Once you get out into the real world, you're like, okay, so this person reminds me of Miss Such and Such from church. <laughs> okay, I know exactly how to deal oh, with shit. you. <laughs> and so it it kind of it it worked. I think it that helped a lot, man. Just being around some hilarious, crazy church folks. Being involved in church and church music definitely seems to be um it's a common denominator I see in in a lot of um successful people in music i'm not saying that you know that's a, a foregone conclusion but it right. seems like i have conversations with people that are like oh yeah what well, you know when i was young and i went to church and we did choir and we did this those people always have like a certain set of skills whether it's people skills or musical skills that they take from that that's embedded in them at an early age and it really helps them later on. It's pretty fascinating. I'm not, uh, you know, I, I grew up Catholic and I just, I tell you, I, I use church time to really just like space out and just think <laughs> about other stuff. And, and I'm not a real church going person at this point in my life, but uh, 
always fascinated by other people's church stories. And yeah. that's that is interesting. There um I think especially in in black churches where we didn't have like if the bass player didn't show up on Sunday, you better learn how to play the bass. It was one of those where it's just like you have to step in and play. So I was bouncing back and forth between piano and drums every Sunday. Yeah. Uh, and so you just kind of develop this, well, I got to go do this this Sunday because he isn't here. And then if you didn't have enough tenors in the choir, well, I guess I got to go sing this week. So you become this <laughs> this handyman of sort of this jack of all trades because you're just like, well, I got to step in where there's a, a lack right now or this week. And you kind of just develop all of these skills because you're doing that for most of your childhood, your development years. So it's it's cool. It's stressful at the time where you're just like, really? <laughs> I don't know how to play the bass. Right. I don't know what I'm doing. I, I mean, we'll get through it. Uh, so, But that's interesting because it prepares you for those moments like when Jellybean from the time is like giving you pushback <laughs> on the click track and you're like, yeah, I'm just like, hey, man. I mean, in my mind, I was like, we can have this argument, but it's going to happen. Like, mm-hmm. th- we don't have an option. There is no pressing play in the middle of this performance. You're, you're going to have to do this. Like, And when I explained that to Jimmy and Terry, they kind of talked Bean into it. But uh, I was like, there is no other option. Like... <laughs> There isn't. Like, Rihanna's part has to come in flawlessly on beat. Like, that's the way it works. And plus, you're 6'7". What are they going to do? Uh, <laughs> Jelly Bean is 6'9". So. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> he's like he's like Chewbacca. So, he's, yeah. You know, Bean that, has that kind of He's huge. So, kind of heading into wrapping up a little bit, what do you think is, over the years, like, for those that are listening, they're like, oh, man, I really want to do that, or I want to do what he's doing, or a variation of the theme of what you're doing. What do you think is working for you, or what has worked for you? What are some of the lessons that you've learned that you could impart on the younger folks, and maybe even some of the older folks that need kind of a, a fresh perspective? Man, honestly, the, the thing that has worked for me is, number one, being being present, being there, being available, sacrificing a lot. And then when you get there, some situa- a lot of situations, you just got to shut up. Like, people don't know when to stop talking or to, like, don't be that guy. Like, I'm very aware of being that guy in the room where you're just like, oh, here he comes. Like, you never want to be that guy. So it's when you get around certain circles, I'll go to a networking event and stand in a group of, uh, stand in a circle with a group of people and I won't say anything. I'll just listen and kind of like analyze the room or or the circle. And within that, you'll know who you need to talk to by letting everybody else run their mouth. You'll figure out like, okay, so this is the important one in the group. <laughs> this is who I need to be dealing with. And then it's up to you to kind of, you know, get your personality together so you can match with that person. But it's it's being quiet, paying attention. Yeah, and being, being available, being present. And when, when you get that call, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. That's what... Jam would tell me all the time. He was like, when he he did an interview and he was like, what I liked about Tremaine was he was ready. Whenever we call, whenever we need anything, he stayed ready and wouldn't have to get ready hmm. for your opportunities. So yeah, all and, that good stuff. Wow, that's 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 really good advice. And as far as all the tasks 
in the world of music and audio, whether it's composing or mixing or producing or just straight up engineering, tracking vocals, whatever. What do you like doing? What what brings you peace? I think it's any any form of creating. So is it can be like composing and making a track from scratch, writing a song, even um some forms of mixing cuz like when they allow you to be creative in your mixing and they don't just give you a dead on template to follow, when they're just like do you like I find that fun. Like mm. you're allowing me to be creative still. You're not just treating me like a robot. Um, so any any form of creativity, man, just being able to get that out because there's so much in there and it's, it's different ways for it to come out. Like it can't always just be writing a song or creating a song, like mixing. Even I really enjoy uh, recording and producing vocals. Like I I gained that love from watching uh, Jimmy and Terry do it. Like learning a bunch of different techniques, like the whole Janet thing and learning how they did all those backgrounds and them allowing me to sit in there was awesome. Cause like they can run the console themselves. Like they can, like I've left it up to them <laughs> a couple times, but them allowing me to sit in there and like I said, get my masters basically in production and recording. Uh, any type of creative, anything is it'll bring me peace. Honestly. What an amazing experience to be able to sit with Jam and Lewis watching vocal production. The things you have learned, I can, I'm envious, man. I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. This has been really great to talk to you. I, I hope I can meet you in person at some point. Yeah. Skype and, you know, emails don't do it justice. But uh, yeah, if you're ever up in the Bay Area, reach out and, uh, We'll go get some coffee. Yeah, I'm with it. <laughs> well, super cool, man. Well, I'm going to let you go. And um, I appreciate it once again. And uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Cool, man. Thanks for having me. Okay, take care. All right, thanks, man. All right, there it is. Tremaine Williams on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Real treat to have him on. Great talking with him. That's about it. I don't have much else to say. I think we're going to just end it at that. So appreciate you coming around today. And I want to thank Cliff Truesdale for his music there, Chuck Smith for his voiceover, and, of course, Cole Williams for his help and all things social media and editing and all that. I want to thank our sponsors, Focal Monitors, Audio-Technica, Gearslets.com, and Universal Audio. And, of course, as always, thank you for being here. I appreciate you listening. Take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like, and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.